live your life, boy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Conspiracy Farm, where we don't start the conspiracies, we just add the water. And now, your host of the most state-of-the-art, most informed podcast on the interweb, I present to you, Pat Militage and Jeffrey Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for Yeah, rear naked choke of Cocker Spaniel, bro. You know what I'm saying? Change the neighborhood up. Conspiracy Farm. Go. Check it out. Greetings. Salutations, ladies and gentlemen, as we are about to knock one out once again for the archives, the Conspiracy Farm, on this fine, cloudy, rainy day down here in St. Louis in the year of our large 2023. As always, rolling shotgun with my homeboy, Patrick J. Milicic. How are we doing today, champ? I'm doing splendid, and I, yes, I know you're excited about this interview. Someone who's uh, quite an expert in certain fields of uh, exploration, we'll put it. Yeah, you know, as, as you know, many people know, you know, anybody who's messed with the farm, this is where this is what started, where it started for me, going down the rabbit hole. I, I don't remember the exact date, but it was around 88, 89, maybe 90. Yes, I'm old. It was a documentary on the A&E network called Reasonable Doubt. It was the first thing, time I'd ever really heard anything in depth about any skepticism about the assassination of President John Fitzgerald Kennedy. And there was a person on there who has gone on to become lore in the JFK world, Dr. Sarah Weck, forensic pathologist, who mm. I actually had the chance to interview, which is posted here on the network. I, it was like bucket list. I'm geeking out very similar today cool. for our guest, uh, Matt Crumpton. He is the host, creator of the Solving JFK podcast. How are we doing today, sir? Doing well, man. Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Without a doubt, man. Without a doubt. This is one of those, gosh, there's so many spokes on this wheel. There's so many rabbit holes <laughs> you can go down. And for me, man, I don't know, just the way just the way my brain, brain has been geared throughout the years, it was just a foregone conclusion to me, almost immediately hearing just some of the stuff that Lee Harvey Oswald, whether he acted at all, did not act alone. And there was just so much forensic evidence, so much medical evidence, so much crazy stuff. But I would always go down the circumstantial shit, like, you know, just, I don't know, his ties to, you know, David Ferry, um, right. intelligence agencies, et cetera, et cetera, stuff you couldn't actually put your finger on and prove. But again, to me, it was just like, you know, it, it just seemed whatever. I, I just made that leap just automatically. And I could be wrong. I don't think I was. But what Matthew has done with his uh, series here, which began, ironically enough, November 22nd, 2022. He's really gone deep down the rabbit hole as far as the medical evidence, the physical evidence, which, you know, he he brings into contest a little bit, if you will, as far as like how, how legit was the autopsy, the ballistics, et cetera, et cetera. And again, there's so many names and stuff to get thrown around here, and we're going to try to keep it with what Matthew has presented. But I have to ask you, what was your beginning to this conversation and how deep you have gone down? And I think I know the answer, but the role Ralph Leon Yates had in your tumble down this rabbit hole. Cause I'd never in my years have done this stuff, never heard of Ralph Leon Yates, but he's so crucial to yeah. you getting down the rabbit hole. Talk to me, brother. Absolutely, man. Yeah. I mean the, the thing, you know, probably just like you, the thing that always flagged this as an event that I, you know, want to come back to and wanted to learn as much as I could, uh, you know, whenever I had a chance is probably when I first started to become cognizant of it, um, and that would have been around the time the movie JFK came out. Uh, I was okay. born in 1981. So, you know, I was about 10 years old or so. And I just remember hearing, oh, the president was killed. And there's a video showing his body go back into the left. I mean, kind of looked like he got hit from the front. And they say, no, it's a guy that shot him three times from behind. 
and then there wasn't a trial or anything because some other guy then killed that guy because he felt bad for the president's wife. And then he died uh, a few years later. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like... Of a mysterious, so, very aggressive cancer. Right. So it was, um, you know, it, it was always a little bit weird. Um, and then I, I had a chance in law school. I'm sorry, a, a chance in... Uh, I, I was... I knew I was going to law school, but I spent my last semester in college at Ohio University as a student teacher teaching American history uh, sophomore to the present because they don't really care what your studies are to get into law school. They just, you know, <laughs> at the time it was really kind of more about the the grades. So I was like, oh, I'll just I'll, I'll do this social studies. I'm interested in history. That's cool. And anyway, um, I, I basically showed the class videos because I wanted to, you know, I'm a senior in college at this point. So my, my primary focus is how do I uh, go out with my friends and not do work, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, JFK assassination. There's a lot of videos on that. So I had to pick a topic and spend a week on a topic. And, uh, you know, I I tried to keep it balanced. I, I showed them like, you know, I think it's like the Nova uh, PBS video that's like they reconstructed and proved that, oh, the single bullet theory really is correct. I, we sh I showed them that. And then uh, and then, of course, I got dove straight into it and showed them a couple of episodes of The Men Who Killed Kennedy. So that was fun. But um, but but yeah. So I mean, what really made me dive in down this road, to be totally honest with you, is I I thought I wanted to be a politician, and I thought I wanted to like, uh, so that's why I went to law school. And then I started to look more into that whole world, and I sort of realized, learned more about the world around us. You know, I follow you on social media, so your observations about the world are consistent with my observations about the world. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, but that, uh, I wasn't always in that place. There used to be a time when I believed that, Hey, we can do this through like sort of the, the proper traditional channels and, and have some sort of change or whatever in the world. So once I realized I wasn't going to run for office, which I came very close to doing, I, I, I needed to sort of scratch that itch in some way. And the thing I was the most passionate about was the Kennedy assassination. So I thought I'm going to put all my energy into this and, you know, really what happened is I read the book um, JFK and the Unspeakable that that really kind of uh, prompted my reinterest in this, along with a book called Reclaiming Parkland by James D. Eugenio. Um, and uh, basically uh, reading those, I, I kind of came to the conclusion, OK, this is a conspiracy. And then I went to Facebook, you know, the, the Facebook groups, try, hoping I could find you know, like-minded people and let's, let's figure this out. Like, let's, you know, let's take action, you know, whatever, like let's have new hearings and all these things. And I just got attacked immediately on so many of these message boards and the people who are attacking me, uh, a lot of times had citations, you know, and that's when I re realized like, if you want real, you've got to just start from scratch and go, all right, let's compare each issue point by point. And let's have citations for everything. And let's sort of let let's do what what uh, our uh, you know our schools still teach children that the news does, right? Let's provide information uh, and let people decide based on you know the objective information. Obviously, I have a little bit of a slant because I can't unknow the things that I that for I sure. know, but I do, but I do try to uh, you know take all issues into consideration because I want to figure out what actually happened. And part of that is going. Well, it's not it's not just like everything is like the wildest conspiracy. Right. You go, you you know, 
Occam's razor is a you know a common notion that's used to knock down conspiracies. Occam's razor is you know the idea that whatever the most likely thing is, right. that's probably yes. what happens. Yes. And Occam's razor is a very useful um, tool, no doubt, but it, it's not applicable to something that's complex. Okay. Well, and, and in this case with Occam's razor, I mean, it becomes a measure of like deductive reasoning. We start deducing why the why it isn't as as simple as this dipshit with his Italian rifle on the sixth floor. Not dipshit. He was actually a really smart guy, Lee Harvey Oswald. But I don't think he had. We'll get into it, but I don't think he had anything to do with putting any triggers on fingers on any triggers. Yeah. He, but yeah. But the so so long long story short, I I realized like okay, I'm not going to be this guy that's like a comment warrior. Because sometimes <laughs> they would say things and I would go, that's a good point. I didn't realize that. You know, here's an example. There's a, and this is coming up in a couple of episodes. There's a guy named Domingo Benavides. He was the first person on the scene for the J.D. Tippett shooting. He is sort of the prime witness, 15 feet, feet away from the whole thing. And there's this thing in conspiracy lore, because it's in The Men Who Killed Kennedy, that, he, you know, Benavides had a twin brother, Eddie Benavides, and his brother was murdered uh, month, a month before, you know, Domingo testified before the Warren Commission to sort of show him what, you know, that he needed to, like, act right and, you know, say what they wanted him to say. Mm. Well, turns out that's total garbage because his brother was killed a year after Domingo already testified. It was over and and it's totally unrelated. And there's all this evidence that shows what, you know, what that his brother's murder was about. So the point is, that's garbage. So we can delete that. That's no, no longer under consideration. Right. And I think what happens is this is like, look, look, this is a great metaphor for politics, because what happens and, and we'll start talking about the substance here. But what happens is uh, one person makes a point and then and then someone else Instead of addressing the point made by the first person, they uh, bring up a counterpoint on a totally different issue. You know, yes. this is called whataboutism in politics. But but uh, so what I'm trying to do is pin it down and go, no, 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 no. Yeah. Issue by issue. You can't leave. OK, let's do this one. All right. You say this and you say this. OK, so that's I would say that's the unique thing that I'm that I'm doing is I'm literally going issue by issue. Every episode has a transcript. Solving JFK dot com. Uh, citations. So I'm a, I'm a lawyer by trade. I was a litigator for years. And uh, I thought, look, I'm not making this stuff up. So I'll just uh, put the citations for every factual proposition I have. And if someone says I'm stupid and wrong, I'll say, well, look, I can't know everything. So please tell me. And also, it's not me saying it. It's, you know, the HSCA. Yes, the board, yes. Whatever. And that's what's hugely important as we, you know, you know, my information is the information and people are so very contrary to things, you know, that they don't necessarily agree with. But that's what's so cool about your presentation. You cite things. These things are very official um, and you keep yourself. I mean, I, well, just listening to you, I can kind of tell during the show. I mean, actually, you just still present everything very objectively. Like, what the fuck about this? What about this? Wow, this is strange. I mean, you just bring up all the different points. Um, and I'm not sure exactly where to start, but I mean, I guess we could start with the with the murder weapon itself, man. Um, you know, it it, it it first came out that it was a 7.65 Mauser. You you play Weird. the soundbite very well, man. Roger Craig, a Dallas policeman, came through and he says in the thing, stamped there, right there on the barrel, was 7.65 yeah. Mauser. <laughs> and unfortunately, Roger Craig became one of the people who wound up, you know, dying, you know, from a suicide with two shots to his head or whatever it was. It was one of those right, very right. suspicious deaths. But, you know, even on ABC, NBC, uh, CBS that day uh -huh. and the next day, they were like, it's a fucking Mauser, 7.65 Mauser. And all of a sudden, this Carcano comes up. What are your thoughts? I mean, 
And Pat, feel free to yeah. jump in here at any time. I know we're nerding out, but feel free to jump no, in. No, no, it's fine. I, I definitely got questions, but I'm just sitting back right now. Cool. Right on, right on. Um, so, I mean, the biggest thing on the Mauser for me is Seymour Weitzman. Yes. And, uh, and, and who's the other guy? Uh, Weitzman and is it Boone? I think it's Boone. But there, there are two sheriffs, aside from Roger Craig. So, you know, everybody – Roger Craig is a very divisive figure. You know, if you're conspiracy side, you love Roger Craig. He's an American hero. Like literally we, there should be statues of Roger Craig in every city. Right. If you're if you uh, are a Warren Report defender, then Roger Craig is a liar who's a psycho and you feel sorry for him. Like those are the, your two options with Roger Craig. Um, but at any rate, the, the, the but Walter that, Cronkite is not a psycho and he reported on the Mauser. You know what right, I mean? Right, exactly. Of course. Well, and, and and here's the main thing. So I like to look at the records. Like, if I had to argue this case in court, what what documentary evidence could I have that would be persuasive, right? And I think one of the most persuasive things when it comes to this is the uh, the written affidavits that were signed by the sheriffs on the day of the assassination. So you know, the first day this happens, it's not like you know the the let's assume there's a conspiracy and there's whatever dark forces at play that are there, you know, like a, like a marionette, like, you know, pulling the strings and doing all these things like that, that wasn't going on as much if it was going on immediately when, immediately when things happen, right. You're going to have like, you know, Occam's razor, right. Right. Like people are going to act how they're going to act. They're going to, they're going to report what they believe to be true in writing as the first thing they say. The first thing people say, especially if it's in writing and it's a sworn affidavit, I I tend to give that the most credit, okay? Not the thing that they change after the fifth time they testify before the Warren Commission, right? So, But as as a lawyer, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but as a lawyer, haven't they notoriously said, like, eyewitness testimony on the events that happened that day are so unreliable the day you report, or, you know, when you go into court because your memory is not the same, or is that... yeah. I, you know I mean, what I'm talking it, about, though. Yeah, well, the, when it comes to criminal cases, eyewitness testimony is not helpful at all because people look similar a lot of times, and people don't remember faces. You know what I mean? What eyewitness testimony is good for is uh, if you get a bunch of people to agree on a general proposition. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like did the car stop in the middle of the road or not? You know, did you know what was the you know, which direction do you think the shots came from? Whatever. And that's a okay, separate issue okay. because there's an echo chamber. But it's, so it's not it's not good for um, someone saying, hey, I saw this guy and here's a lineup. And OK, this this guy out of the people in the lineup, person number three looks the most like the guy I saw. So why don't you, why don't you lock him up? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like that's kind of the issue. But, but at any rate, um. So you got you got Mauser and I believe it's Boone who uh, I'm sorry Mauser you got Weitzman and Boone who both say Mauser in their affidavit. So think about this. Okay, the story we're told is they uh, they they found the Carcano. They initially misidentified it as a Mauser, and then uh, you know uh, Fritz, the police captain, shows up yeah. and he goes, "No, it's a Carcano." And they go, "Oh, okay, it's a Carcano." All right, well then riddle me this: Why? Hours later at the sheriff department when the affidavit is written and they sign it in the a murder of the president of the United States. Pretty big case. You would think you'd want to get it right. It's only a one-page affidavit. It's not like it's a 50-page contract, okay? So they both, they both say in their affidavits that it's a Mauser. But this is hours after the fact that that matter was supposed to have been cleared up. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and it gets into the conversation we're going to have a little bit later here in a minute about CE. I think it's the uh, commission exhibit 399, the magic bullet. Where in the chain of custody, people are like, well, this looks nothing like the bullet. I mean, it, right. You know, it's so. Uh, yeah. So that's on, on, on the rifle. I mean, that's it. But look, the bottom line is the Carcano's in the National Archives. We have a picture of, of uh, Lieutenant Day bringing the uh, the Carcano out of the building. So and he know, was he, was he was the one who was holding there. it over his head? Somebody was walking yes. through the police. Okay. Yes. So what's that? So I'm saying that the the Mauser was reported literally like that day and the next day and the next I think two or three days. So they corrected with the Carcano, but like the, that officer walking through the the jail there, the Dallas jail with the. Carcano mm-hmm. seemed like I don't know. Obviously, they're all trying to scramble they to get their know. their stories right. together because obviously, I mean, I don't know. There are multiple shooters, multiple shit coming from multiple directions. Or could I mean, it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. If it wasn't a Carcano, it had to have been the Mauser. Like maybe it was both, you know? Right. But it, that's just. I mean, it ends up not mattering a ton. No. But uh, but it is a thing that's weird. And I think if you go, what I don't understand is someone who goes, ah, oh, well, we know, you know, like someone who has no interest or curiosity at all about how these two sheriffs could have put it on their affidavit hours later. And, oh, by the way, Weitzman used to run a sporting goods store. And at this time, sporting goods store meant a gun and rifle store, too. Right, right. right. So he was like an, he was an expert on firearms. He was the expert on firearms at the sheriff's department. It's, you know, so it's – if I had to bet, I would bet that it was a Mauser. But the challenge is I just don't have – you know, it's gone if it was. But Well, that, and again, that's... you have – you know, again, you, like you said, you have contrary opinion on people like Roger Craig. But he said consistently, you know, stamp there right on the barrel. Uh-huh. 7.65 miles. And, you know, Walter Cronkite. Is, you know, it's Anyway, it's a kind right. of that fog of war, and they all start cleaning it up as things go on. <laughs> sure. um, Jesus, duh. Where do we jump to next? So it seems like um, – in the single bullet theory, we'll get to the ballistic stuff here in a, in a minute, but it sounds like James Tag really fucks this all up for them. <laughs> I mean, yes. literally, he screws this whole story up as far as three shots, etc. Who's James Tag, bro? That's great. That's a great piece of analysis there. Yes. Uh, I mean, you're, you're truly correct. Uh, James Tag is a bystander who is standing at the uh, intersection of – he's basically – a street over from from Elm, where the uh, the mo- you know the limo was was fired upon. So the now there's dispute as to whether it was the first. So for, I'm talking about the official story right now. Okay, yes, so yes. a lot of people think a lot of different things. <laughs> there's a lot of numbers of shots that are alleged, but um, the official story is three shots, and the third shot is Kennedy's headshot, and it's. And the idea is the first shot must have either the first shot missed or the second shot missed. They're not really clear on that. They're, that's kind of open ended. But whichever one missed hit concrete and then nicked James Tag and cut his face. And he spoke to a police officer. And so it's all on the record. And they, they could have just covered that up. But instead, they they stuck with it and they they relied upon it. And of course, LBJ didn't believe it. And we have, uh, you know, we got a phone call between Richard Russell, a senator who's on the Warren Commission, telling LBJ he doesn't believe it. it was in like the, I think episode 19. We got J, same episode. We got J. Edgar Hoover talking about how a d- different shots hit Connolly and Kennedy. Well, so, and, and I'm glad you brought that out because it's in my notes because I listened to that conversation and he, J. Edgar Hoover lists all these shots and they're accounted for, never once mentioning James Tag. I realized they were cleaning this up at this point, but he was like, nope, this shot hit here, this shot hit dead, and never mentioned the one that missed. 
So it's like even the head of the FBI at that time was still, you know, kind of putting it together, I guess, or I don't know, doing their best to maintain that, that three bullet, that, you know, three bullet, three shots kind of theory. Well, what's really notable is Hoover says that a full bullet fell out of JFK's head onto and onto the stretcher or the whatever under his on. ear, which is another thing I've never heard of. Expound on that, bro. You're going there. It's crazy. I mean, it's well. It, there's a there's a nurse who came forward. Uh, Audrey Hinchcliffe, I think her name is. She came. I get her. That's whenever I say Hinchcliffe, I don't know if I'm thinking of the comedian Tony Hinchcliffe, but but Audrey, <laughs> uh, she Hinchcliffe, I believe her name is. The 50th anniversary, she came forward for the first time and said that she found she saw a full, intact bullet uh, between the president's ear and shoulder. So I'm trying to think about like where that would be. It's like basically you're like kind maybe? of trapezius area, Patrick. Yeah. More, yeah. I mean, I don't... but but uh. You know, the the question is why did no one else say that in Parkland? So that's that's my, sort of my the thing I don't really get. But what's the FBI? There's an FBI report that that backs up what this nurse says from the day of the assassination, and then a week later we have a telephone call recorded between Hoover and Lyndon Johnson where he says the same thing. So what this tells me is that there this intact bullet, which you know, was it on? Did it follow Kennedy's head? Did it you know? Uh, the district attorney Henry Wade and Governor Connolly say the intact bullet came out of him and he was there to see it. But then someone else found it on a stretcher. And oh, by the way, the doctor who did surgery on Connolly gave a press conference uh, after CE399 was found, like one or two in the afternoon, saying he, saying the bullet was still in Connolly's leg, still in his thigh. So you're, you're, you're jumping the gun on me, but I'm glad you're there because that's a huge point of contention. Another thing I had no fucking clue of. I always had questions, and it's like when I talked to Cyril Wecht, I didn't have much time with him, but we mostly talked about the single bullet theory in CE399. Like, how could this bullet have done all of this stuff, created all these wounds, and looked so pristine? That was a huge question, obviously, but when I was listening to you, I had no idea of the timeline of when that thing was supposedly dropped off on a stretcher. And it's like, no, 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 that couldn't be the, the bullet that did this because the surgeon's like, I haven't even pulled it out of his leg yet. And this was hours later. Right. I mean, I would say the the two issues in the single bullet theory, there's, you got to separate into two things. Is a single bullet theory possible? And then separately, is CE three ninety nine the the quote you know the bullet they have uh, at the National Archives, is that the one that did it? If it's possible, right? So let's first talk. I mean, is that the one that did it? There's this whole chain of custody thing. Right. And so, please get into that because that was another huge part of it because it went down like 10, 12 people. And some people are like, no, this doesn't even look close to what I handed you. And this right. is supposedly the bullet. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, there, no you're good. There, there were six six people who possessed it. So it went from Tomlinson, who was basically an orderly who found it on a stretcher in the hallway of the of the first floor i believe maybe the first or second floor but it wasn't they don't have any certainty whatsoever that it's tied to Connolly. it, it wasn't found on Connolly's stretcher it was found on a stretcher right okay right so that so that's the starting point if you believe the official story it was found on a stretcher okay um and then uh it was given to the head of hospital security op Wright, who then gave it to secret service agent uh richard johnson who gave it to the head of the secret service James Rowley, who gave it to an FBI agent, um, Elmer Todd, who then gave it to the FBI firearms expert, Robert Frazier. So that's that's the chain. Didn't one of them actually etch their initials or their name in one of them to kind of 
Todd and Fraser both etched their initials in them, and you can see their initials. Um, and there was a lot of debate for a long time about Todd. Actually, it's in the Eugenio uh, Oliver Stone documentary series that's out. Uh, it, they mention Elmer Todd uh, being um, uh, his initials not being on on the bullet. And then right after that came out, the National Archives came up with like this super you know, uh, high res 3d scanning. And sure enough, the, you know, they're like, look, here, his initials are on the bullet right here. So, uh, that's the only, by the way, that's the only fact that I've seen proven wrong from that documentary series. Hmm. Um, but at any rate, uh, <clears throat> the, the main thing is for me is this on the chain of custody, like you said, all, all four of the people, uh, or I'm sorry, not all four. Um, the first, uh, the two people in the middle say that they're not sure. Oh, I no, you know, they're shown the bullet. They go, no, I can't identify that as the same bullet, but that's not the same thing as saying, no way that looks nothing like it. It's definitely not that one. They're just saying, I can't, I, you know, I literally don't know. I'm not sure. Right. But here's what's tricky. There's a document called CE 2011. And that is the master summary by the FBI of the chain of custody. It goes into all the detail. Here's, you know, it started here and, and here's, here's, here's how it got to where it is now. And in that document, it talks about this FBI agent named Bardwell Odom, and he, and he supposedly went and interviewed the first two uh, people to possess it, Tomlinson and Wright. And importantly, um, in the in this summary document, it says that Tomlinson and Wright both identified it as the same bullet. So according to the official summary document, the first two people that possessed it go, yeah, this is the same one. This is it. I, I, that's the one, right? Well, uh, so, so again, supposedly this is Bardwell Odom, who uh, who went to Parkland with the magic bullet itself and showed it to him and said, hey, does this look like the one that you found? OK, so this researcher, Dr. Gary Aguilar, reaches out to Bardwell Odom, uh, who was like 80 years old at the time. And, and you know, and this is all on tape. He recorded everything and asks him for the details of this. And then he, Odom tells him uh I never possessed CE 399. I wouldn't remember that. And I've never even seen it before. I definitely didn't go to Parkland to speak to these guys. If I did, there would be a 302 report and that would have been declassified. Yes. He's like, but I'm, but I'm sure that I didn't. So sure enough, the FBI declassified all of their 302 reports that were related to supporting the summary document CE 2011. And sure enough, none of Odom's uh, reports are in there. So there's so he says he didn't talk to them. There's no underlying receipts for him talking to them, which you would expect to, to see. So that's I believe that's pretty strong proof of fraud right there. So that that, that was pretty shocking to me, and and I, it's overwhelming, you know, to me that that one point. Uh, the counterpoint is Barwell Odom's old and he's a liar. See, if you're going to believe the Warren report, you you have to, in many cases, you have to go. Um, this is the biggest weakness of believing the Warren report. You have to believe so many witnesses are just liars <laughs> or they're bad people or they just want to get rich or whatever. And the, the downside of believing the conspiracy is you have to just take some leaps that sound crazy, absent, uh, all of the information filling it in. And some of the information's not there. So some of the things still sound crazy. Well, I mean, part of being not there. I mean, if, if the throat wound to Kennedy, like, where's that bullet? Where'd that go? And then it gets into the back wound and all of this different kind of, uh, Forensic right. stuff. I mean, it really is. And even, you know, the t I guess we can get into it because everyone, again, check out my man's show, dude. JF Solving JFK. It's it's a deep dive into this stuff. But um, as it relates to the tampering of the body, potentially, you know, it, it, it showing up to 
um, being loaded on Air Force One in a particular coffin and then showing up in Bethesda in a different coffin. And I, I, I don't know how, I, how much I give credence to that shit. And it's almost the nuance that I don't really mm-hmm. care about because I know it was all all fuckery anyway. But getting down to the the nooks and crannies like you have is very interesting because the fuckery is so deep, dude. It, again, right. the, the forensic ev- or the, the, the autopsy evidence. Yeah, it, not, not I mean, tracing the, the bullet, not tracing the track of the throat wound, which they right. covered as a as a uh, what do they call it um, a tracheotomy, but it was yeah. r- really a bullet wound. That's right. Which makes sense because when he Kennedy came from behind the on, on the Zabruder film, he reached to his throat like that. Clearly, was mm-hmm. one of the first shots. Of course, yeah. It's um, you know the in terms of the the body alteration stuff. David Lifton uh, was the first the first guy, and you know Joe Rogan's a big David Lifton fan, uh, so I I, I don't want to say anything bad about David Lifton, but because I know I know a lot of people really like him. He just passed away recently too, and he did a lot of good research, uh, and he unearthed unearthed some different documents and and primary sources, uh, but his core thesis is that their body alteration was done on Air Force One itself. And the issue is the only time the body was unattended, the ceremonial casket, which Kennedy was loaded onto Air Force One and was unattended, was when LBJ was being sworn in. But that's for like 15, 20 minutes. So, you know, they could have slipped him into a a shipping casket at that time. I think that's plausible. I don't think there's proof that that happened. All I'm saying is that that's plausible. I don't think it's plausible that somebody's like hacking him up. You know, in the back, I just don't know that they would have had the expertise to do that. That's just a bridge too far for me. Um, And then Doug Horn says that uh, Doug Horn, who is the head of the military records on the Assassination Records Review Board, the chief investigator. So he's a guy who is there in the mix. Like Doug Horn is not just like some conspiracy theory guy. Like he is he's in the game. (laughs) He's right there seeing everything. Um, He says that there was basically like a switcheroo. And the there's a motorcade with a ceremonial casket, and so you know Jackie Kennedy and Robert Kennedy and Cybert and O'Neill, my my two favorite rogue FBI agents. Uh, they they when I say rogue in that they they undermine the official story tremendously by telling the truth. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> so, but, but basically they but they're you know they're adamant that like we were with we were with the casket the whole time because they drove in a motorcade through town. The argument is a chopper came and picked up Kennedy's body in the shipping casket and then landed in a parking lot next to the, next to the, uh, next to Bethesda. And so obviously, you know, getting there half an hour earlier than the ceremonial casket, which gave them time to basically, you know, hack up the brain, take, take bullet fragments out of the brain and, and take out, take out all the extra bullets basically is his argument. But, the challenge I have, I think there's definite evidence for the shipping casket, uh, like very strong evidence for the shipping casket being there and, and for two caskets arriving and decent evidence for two caskets arriving at different times. But I think the evidence of a helicopter is nothing almost. It's one guy, Paul O'Connor, who says that he heard a chopper at eight o'clock, but the chopper was supposed to arrive at 6:30 for this to all make sense. So, so this just just that's kind of what I'm talking about and zooming into the details. I just don't like. I think if there was a helicopter that landed there now, if you if you had four or five witnesses like like we do for the shipping casket, I would go okay. I think I think that's a thing. But if we have one who didn't even see it, they heard it, and it was an hour and a half later than the timeline would require, 
I kind of have to go that does Occam's razor doesn't work there for me. You know what I mean? Right. Jeez. Well, one one thing I want to point out real quick on the single bullet theory. Um, just, so the, the main thing for me, cause I, I've listened to all the counter arguments and the arguments and gone back and forth. And the bottom line is it's all about the location of the back wound. That's the whole game. The whole game of the single bullet theory is the back wound location. Where is it? Is it at T1 where uh, the the official Warren report puts it in the final autopsy? T1 being the first thoracic vertebrae. Not to get all anatomy and physiology on anybody. First, basically, T1 would be like the base of the neck, right? First thoracic vertebra. Um, And is it there or is it T3? So there's a... um, an autopsy facing sheet, like a drawing of where the wounds are. And that shows it much lower than T1 around T3. The death certificate itself says T3. Like that's what it says on the death Mm. certificate. Uh, The photo, there's a photo of his back and it looks like it's at T3. It doesn't look like it's at T1. Now his head, his photo, his head, his head is tilted up to make it look like it's closer. It, there, there's trickery going on. But so it's, in, in it's that too- back wound, do you think, I mean, I don't, I'm not a huge ballistics expert again, but it seems like the entry wound has the small hole, the exit wound has a bigger hole. Where, do you think that was an entrance wound, the back one? Yes. Entrance. Okay. And where did it go? It it fell out uh, at the hospital during, so. Heart so that, massages. That was the heart massage. Exactly. Okay. And, and I, I, I almost think that the bullet fell out of Kennedy that, that Hoover said fell out of his head might be the one that, that uh, went into his back. Mm, like that would travel. make a lot of sense, but they wouldn't want to disclose that because that now the single bullet theory is over. Cause that's supposed to have gone through Connolly. Patrick jump in here for a second, man. You're way more of a ballistic guy than I am. Does it make sense if something could travel into the lower shoulder under that uh, lower scapula, I think it's called, and then possibly come out up, up by your neck trapezius area? On a downward trajectory from a six-story building. Well, it, it, you know, hitting bone and fragments happening, things like that. I mean, it's there's a lot of crazy stuff bullets do inside of a, inside of a body when it's when they're when they're hitting going through things, and you know, it's like, it's like the, the simplest way I could say is, a bullet can be diverted from its trajectory by a blade of grass. So when it hits bone, you know comes apart, fragments, whatever, you know, it's going to definitely change trajectory many times. Right. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. Now they don't, there's no argument uh, that, that it hit any bones in Kennedy's body. The, the bone that started to happen when it went through Connolly's body, according to the single bullet theory. So, so the, the, the thing for me, when I, when I look at this, these, uh, all the, ev- and, and also the, the clothing, his his suit coat and his and his shirt they're they're consistent with T three, so we have we have six pieces of evidence that support that, um, and and we have the Cybert and O'Neill report where they say that the wound wasn't very deep and the counter argument is rigor mortis but doctors yeah. know about rigor mortis right that didn't set in for a while while later too so when you're talking about the time frame of this bullet spitting out rigor mortis usually doesn't happen and I'm no whatever. I, I, anyway, I thought it would uh, rigor mortis happens a little later. Something else, dude, and I don't know if you ever heard this. And this is this comes from the gospel of the great uh, JFK, you know, Seer Weck, dude. When I interviewed him, and I even seen him on other uh, broadcasts where he's talking about it, it, as part of the single bullet theory is like did did the single bullet theory or single bullet hit both Kennedy and Connolly? So Kennedy, uh, Connolly even says like 
I was looking forward. I heard the bullet. I recognized it as a rifle fire. I turned to my right. And by the time I turned to my left, Kennedy had already been hit. But and he's and uh, Connolly was saying that's when I felt like I was hit. Something Sarah Weck brought up as they as Kennedy has clearly been hit. Connolly is holding his Stetson hat, which he says is absolutely impossible because one of the wounds on Connolly was to his ulnar, uh, the the ulna bone, and severed the ulna nerve. So you couldn't hold something like your hat or anything if your ulna nerves had been severed. I don't know if you ever heard about that, but that was just one of the yes. things that substantiated why that first shot that what they were two different shots. And even Connolly has said the first shot didn't hit him. He's even stated mm-hmm. that. Yeah, uh, I that's correct. And you know, Cyril Wecht is uh, is a legend, I think. And I I met got to meet Mr. Wecht very Dr. Wecht oh very briefly God. in November. Uh, I was down in Dallas for the JFK assassination conference. I went to the JV conference and the varsity conference. There's two conferences. The JV conference the JV. is like, dude, the JV conference. Everybody there's got a book. There's a table in the back with like 90 books for sale, and all the books are like, Israel did it. Spider Man did it. The ice, you know, the like, ice bullet. The shot from the fucking sewer drain. Like that's what umbrella, annoys. Umbrella Man with a dart. Yes, like, yes. Yeah. Or, no, like, no, or, or William Cooper. As much as I got love for William Cooper, right. like, the, the driver did Service it. Like, come on now. I know exactly, dude. That's well. What's bad about that is that's really proliferating among younger people. Oh, behold a white horse! It's everywhere. It. Yes, it's everywhere. On uh, on Netflix, there's a documentary about the the um driver did it theory but at, at any rate um yeah we're, we're, sorry what was that going what were we talking about i got up uh well, when you, I, can i bring up uh you know just as 9 11 you know all the talk of oh yeah holograms and all the crazy stuff with airplanes and all you know i never never was interested in any of that remote control airplanes or whatever it was always the the things that led up to the factual things that led up to 9 11 yes that 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 always interested me the most and the the potential folks involved in the assassination of president Kennedy is what, you know, and I, this is just me. Uh, you, you guys are both much more well researched, you know, outside of Fidel Castro, the mafia teamsters, you know, the CIA, all these different, all these different, uh, groups or, or bureaucratic, um, you know, departments, whatever it is, in my mind, after reading extensively on a lot of the documents that recently, you know, came out not that long ago, the the letters that Kennedy was writing to the leaders of Israel, Ben Gurion, and then uh, the his his predecessor, or his yeah, the that, I mean, Kennedy was really putting the pressure on them for inspections of their nuclear reactors, mm-hmm. their facilities, you know, all those sort of things, and and that's a that's about as serious as it gets. I mean, right in my mind and and that's and we know the Mossad has done some things in the past that weren't weren't real you know upstanding let's put it that way yeah i have a uh there's a, a yeah that I, I shouldn't say anything anyway um <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you after the podcast is over it's spicy no but that but um, that, that is a layer that is I, I've, I've heard as well and it's worth looking into i forget the exact yeah. name of it it was um a, a particular the, the nuclear region or the, the area where those guys were uh um yeah um trying to look it up now but anyway yeah that was that's definitely something worth considering now where did they do the whole the facility was called demona right demona thank you champ thank you no that's okay. exactly what it is but that doesn't change things like and again this is this is what i always enjoy entertaining and i think when i first hit you up matt i was like dude did you know that 
the mayor of Dallas was Earl Cabell. His brother yeah. was Charles Cabell. And after the Bay of Pigs, uh-huh. he Kennedy fired Richard Bissell, Alan Dulles, and uh, Charles Cabell, who had deep, deep military and, and intelligence ties for years and years. So he was pissing yes. off a lot of people. But those that's one of those like kind of ancillary things. People or George DeMoren Shield or Ruth and Robert Payne or David Atlee Phillips. These are names that go deep into the circumstantial shit that you can never pin down. E. Well, Howard Hunt, you know, Charles Charles Harrelson possibly yeah. was involved. Woody Harrelson's right. dad. Yeah. Well, the thing that makes this case such a great, you know, whodunit is that there are so many people that had motive. Yes. So many yes. institutions. Like, yeah, what you're saying about Israel, did, did they have motive? I'm sure that they pref- would prefer someone that, you know, uh, supported their interests more than, than Kennedy. All I'm saying is, you know, it, it just let's talk about it in the context of just going through the medical evidence. All right. So if there was a conspiracy, then that means that either the, uh, the autopsy photographs or x-rays were altered or there was body alteration that that's a requirement for there to be a conspiracy. So that means that there had to have been some military involvement at some level. That's like, so the, you know, the Israel and the mafia can't, can't. Well, and when you look at, you know, in doctors re- at, Bethesda. In real time, not even just Bethesda, in Parkland, when they were trying to track the trace of the tracheotomy womb, I forget the admiral's name. He's like, no, 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 no. I, I know when JFK was like, it's been duly noted, but basically some admiral, some military intelligence guy was like, he shut it down. The track of the Galloway. first... Is that who it was? I believe it's Galloway. But... And, and, and then you have Kennedy's press secretary coming out, hey, dude, he died from a bullet in the brain. If you look at he's pointing almost to the to exact temple. area, you know, right yeah. to the front temple. It's, yeah, man. It's, it's dude. crazy. Talk about the temple. This is kind of jumping all over the place, but it's all right. That's uh, what we do here. Tom Robinson, the guy, the mortician from the so the mortician who's on in all the documents. This is not like some guy who claims to be the mortician. This is the official mortician in all of the records in the Warren Report. He says there was a hole in Kennedy's right front temple, and he filled it filled it in with wax. What? <laughs> A small little hole, look like an entry wound. Yeah. Oh yeah, and yeah. There, there's three other people that say the same thing, but um, but at any rate, um, yeah, uh, we're talking about motives and, and who all is who all would be interested. So that kind of gets to the ultimate question of who did it. And let me just zoom. Let me zoom out by saying, I'm going to go there eventually, but season one, I'm truly just trying to figure out like. What's most likely? What's the most likely thing to happen on the big questions? Yes. And then what? What are the open questions, and where do we go? It's like, for, for example, it's helpful to know your either ors, right? It's helpful to know that for the medical, like, it's not possible that you can believe the autopsy evidence and also believe there was a shot from the front. Those two things are mutually exclusive. Right? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So, it, it also, you know, the thing we discovered that to keep, you know, sort of to keep in mind for the future is that it appears there's someone impersonating Oswald. You talked about Ralph Yates earlier and Ralph Yates is basically this guy that uh, picks up a hitchhiker right next to Oswald's rooming house two days before the assassination. And the hitchhiker starts saying all this crazy stuff talking about, Oh, by the way, he's got a, a long bag that uh, is a paper bag and he says has curtain rods in it. Okay. This is two days before the assassination. And this hitchhiker starts talking. About, he asks him for a ride to work. Tells him, you know, where he works. 
And he starts saying, hey, you know, the president's coming in town soon. Do you think someone could kill him with a rifle from, <laughs> sorry, from a, a tall yeah. building? You know, and Yates is like, and what's funny is Yates like entertains it. He's like, I don't know, maybe if they were a really good shot. <laughs> he doesn't go like, I don't know, psycho. He's like, he's like, perhaps let's talk about the details. Um, but uh, but anyway, uh, so Yates drops this guy off and the place where he was dropped off. Dun, dun, dun. Right. The Texas School Book Depository. And who and got him that he, job there? I believe it was George DeMornshield, who had uh, George Bush's number in his wallet uh, when they... So, well, the job is a little bit more complicated, okay. technically. Okay, help me out. It was Lenny Mae Randall, who was a neighbor three houses down the street from the Oswalds, and her brother was Buell Wesley Frazier, who's the guy that gave Oswald a ride to work that morning. Um, and so, so, and so Lenny did, Mae didn't Randall he had say, talked to Ruth Payne. Didn't Mr. Frazier say the same thing when Oswald, when he took Oswald to work that day, he had a long thing, curtain rods? Didn't he say the same thing? Exactly. About that's, what the, he was, that's the story. The story yeah. is curtain rods. So, so I bring, oh, and here's the crazy thing on Ralph Yates. Let me just finish that thought. So, so anyway, Yates gets back. This is the Wednesday. He tells his coworker, Dempsey Jones, about what happened. So we have someone that's verified this. And then he sees Oswald on TV and he goes, that's the guy I gave a ride to. Okay. And, mm. and by the way, we know that it couldn't have been the real Oswald. Because so he was working. Because he was working at the time. Yeah. Okay. So, and there's, F, and everything I'm talking about is I'm just, it's from FBI reports. Okay. Uh, and as we know just, from the Durham report, you cannot trust the FBI because, and yeah. it's weird. I'm totally digressing here, but we've all think like, wow, the, the FBI just been weaponized, and oh my god, the FBI, the Justice Department. We forgot about our boy J. Edgar Hoover. He's been doing this shit for a long fucking time. But anyway, go well, ahead. I'll, I'll I'll play that game for a split second, and just by saying like, <laughs> people people can't people are really bad at separating the idea, like the possibility that wait a minute. The, the bad things people say about Trump on a personal level could be true. And it also could be true. The intelligence agencies are out of control and not acting in good faith. Like maybe right. both things are true. Exactly. Wow. Walk and, <laughs> walk and chew gum, people. Walk and chew gum. But but yeah, so so um, Ralph Yates. So he then uh, is I'm going on and on. But no, he, ends up, he ends up being brought in by the FBI for four different polygraphs. And there's a memo, for, there's an urgent teletype from J. Edgar Hoover himself, himself saying, you have to give this guy another polygraph and make him change his statement, okay? Uh, or his, his, <laughs> he doesn't say, change. well, hang on, he doesn't say and make him change his statement. That's kind of implied, all right? So, so they give him another polygraph and they say, look, uh, you've passed four polygraphs in a row, so we believe that you think what you're saying is true. But since it couldn't be possible... We're going to have to uh, send you to this. We're going to commit you to this insane asylum. So he was involuntarily committed to an insane asylum as a 29-year-old who had five kids. Wow. In and out of insane asylums his whole life, died when he was 39. Wow. He got like 40 electric shock treatments, and he never recanted his wow. story. Wow. And and so if that was a standalone, you go, huh, yeah, that's no, crazy. No. But there are like a dozen other examples of Oswald impersonators. Well, not even just Oswald, I and mean, people who have been bald with this, who you know caught that quick dirt nap, like Roger Craig. I mean, there's hundreds. There's literally that all all too nap. many, dude. And <laughs> That's funny. you know, as we talk talk about this, dude. This I've always thought with the Zabruder film, I've always just found it weird. Um, like Mary Mormon, there's so many other people who had their 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 photographic evidence like quickly obfuscated mm -hmm. and taken, but yeah. Zabruder gets like the fucking almost Steven Spielberg shot of the whole fucking thing. But has it been altered? Because I'm on everything I love. When I watch that thing, 
and I, I'm convinced that he was shot from the front, that final thing back into the left shot from the front. But when I watch that video, I don't see that occipital parietal blowout that the, the, uh-huh. the people talk about. I see like this kind of flap on his right ear. I see him get hit in this kind of flap of human tissue and skull right. flap over his right ear. I don't see that back end blowout. And I don't right. know, man. I, a, how did how did he, you know, Abraham Zabruder get that like prime time spot? But everybody else's photographic evidence evidence gets taken. And do you think it had been altered? Because it's just, I think he was definitely hit from the front. But the video just, it doesn't necessarily look like he was hit from the back. Because like I said, that back to the left still happens. But what are your thoughts on the Zabruder film? And it could have yeah. been altered. Well, um, in terms of what does it show? I mean, I kind of see the same thing you see, which is uh, it looks like it's on the right side in the Zabruder film. But then there's this big pronounced back into the left motion like somebody hit him in the right temple with a baseball bat right right um so you know i i do think it, it the, the thing is it it looks like it's a shot from the front but when you zoom into all the evidence and everybody says there's a big hole in the back of his head you there's kind of it's like kind of a shadow if you really look at it it kind of looks like someone you know you like just used a marker over it or something now now uh just because it's totally black but it's like a shadow but this lends itself to the autopsy photos too because you don't see that back blowout you see this right side that's you know brain coming out on the right side similar to what the video presents or the film presents. right right so um in, in terms of whether or not the uh, the Zapruder film was altered. The question, it, it, the way that it would have been altered is that some of the frames would have been removed. Okay. And I've actually talked to people who think that, that the, the big pronounced uh, back into the left was made, was actually not as bad as it appears in the film. And it's made to look a lot. The back into the left was made to look much more dramatic because they took out the, the, the rear head wound frames. Right. That's the idea. Like, so, hmm. so it looks like it's going faster. But so, so, OK, what's the evidence? All right. Blah, blah, blah. Speculation. What's the what's the evidence say? The evidence on this is the whole saga of NPIC, the National Photographic Interpretation Center. So what, what they did is they took films and they took individual frames of films and they blew them up to be very large so that uh, people in the Defense Department and CIA, FBI, whatever, you know, high up national security agency. Uh, they could analyze them. So the Zapruder film was taken to NPIC to be, uh, you know, to have these these uh, briefing boards made, basically to have individual slides be blown up. And there are bas- there's basically stories of two separate sets of uh, films uh, and briefing boards being made on different nights by different people, okay? And so the first night on Saturday night, you have Dino Brugioni, who, by the way, is not just some schmuck, he was like the the chief uh, information officer for for NPIC, uh, and you know ended up being pretty high ranking. And he he says that he worked on the briefing boards that Saturday night, and that the ones the Zapruder film that's available today does not show what he saw. He saw a huge blowout of brain matter up in the sky and backwards, um, mm. and so consistent with what you would expect. And, well, and consistent then, uh, with, I mean, I, God love Clint Hill, the Secret Service agent right behind him, and what Jackie was supposedly reaching for. She wasn't just freaking out, jumping out of the car. Supposedly she was reaching for brain matter that had blown out of the back of his head. 
Yeah, and some dude on TikTok came at me yesterday when I posted a, a clip, and and he was like, well, "What about Clint Hill? Clint Hill says that that uh, there was no uh, injury in the rear of his head." And I sent him a quote and a citation to where he said there was a huge gaping hole in the back right side of his head. So there you go. Mm. Um, that's that's the beauty of citations, baby. Yes. Because um, <laughs> yes. you're ready to go. You go. Actually, no. Here's the site. Um, but uh, but yeah. Uh, then the next night, you got two other guys, Homer McMahon and uh, Ben Hunter, who say that who are also career NPIC officers, and they say that they worked on this recruiter film on on uh, Sunday night. Okay, and what's interesting here's what's really interesting: the guy who brought the film to them, who's a Secret Service agent, seems like Bill Smith or something like that. It's like super common name. Um, we mentioned it in the podcast. Uh, he says he had just gotten back and picked the film up at Hawkeye Works in Rochester, New York. Hawkeye Works is like the CIA, photo- you know, lab where like the best uh, people with film are in the world. Okay. Yeah. It, it was a, a a project between. Well, actually, it was it was a division of Kodak, and the CIA worked with them on on some projects. You had to have like a security clearance to get in there. So so anyway, uh, there you go. So it's right there. So if you want to believe that it happened, then you can believe the testimony of those three guys. There's a Doug Horn put a documentary together about it, and and they testified under oath under the ARRB. Now. It's a little bit – there are two things that really throw a wrench into believing this reporter film was faked based on that information. And those are uh, the testimony of Homer McMahon, one of the guys – one of the two guys on Saturday who said that he had senile dementia and he wouldn't trust anything he says. <laughs> That's in the record. It's like, well, okay. But keep in mind the other guys there that, that – you know. There were two guys that testified to the same thing. And, okay, one of them's got dementia. The other guy's still saying the same thing. Um but then the other issue is there is an expert who wrote a 150-page report, and he's at least like the the main expert in the field of photographic and film forgeries, uh, who of course does a lot of work for the Department of Defense, and or, or had anyway, and uh, he said that it's authentic. So there you go. You can believe what you want. You can go, hey, that guy, he's an insider, and he's just saying what they want him to say. Uh, and why would these other three guys lie? They have nothing to gain from it, and that kind of matches what we would expect. Or you can go, see, look, this guy's got dementia. These two guys don't know what they're talking about because the expert proved him wrong. So it's just it's a choose your own adventure, whatever you want to yeah, believe. Choose your own adventure. Have fun Absolutely. out there, I say. Yeah. yeah, and it's you know it's one of those it's it's one of those things like I've never delved deep into, and I'm so glad you did, dude. And I'm hoping people are actually benefiting from this conversation and and going down the rabbit hole in their own way because. I, I don't know, man. There's there's so much to this because I don't know. Anyway, Patrick, yeah, I, any questions? Jump in, brother. No, I mean, I again, I just I, I keep going back to who ultimately is responsible uh, for it. I mean, are we ever going to are we ever going to know? I mean, I, I as I stated before, who has the biggest uh, reason for, you know, if it's a murder case. Key bono, uh, baby. You know, Key bono. Who, who, who benefits? Yes. You Let's know, you want to quick. Sorry, go ahead. We're talking national security. I mean, we're not just talking drug running. We're not talking Teamster stuff. We're not st- talking just uh, racketeering. We're talking. I mean, we're talking national security of Israel um, and the way the Israelis saw it back then. I mean, it's. Um, I don't think it's it's got anything to do with. Uh, I, I the best way to put it is who's got the biggest reason to kill somebody. Right. There there, there are many, and I'm just going to throw this in here, man. 
And as well as a very underplayed component to all this, the aerospace industry. Go ahead, brother. Yeah, no, no, that that, that makes sense too. Uh, I mean, the the big ones that that come to mind, right? So you got Oswald, and then you got uh, Oswald with the Cubans, Oswald with the Russians, right? And those those arguments are not, excuse me, actually arguments for second shooters. They're just arguments that yeah, there's a conspiracy in that Oswald was working with the Russians, right? Or you know, some people could say there's a, a second shooter, but the the main argument, if you're saying it's Russians or Cubans, that's like the hipster Warren Report defender position. It's like it was a conspiracy. It's not what you think. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> and then, uh, but and what then, world? You know, honestly, bro, what world? I mean, even in the '60s, like he was 20, whatever. Hey, I'm a marine. I want to defect, and he defects, gets a girl, hangs out there, and then comes back with this Russian yeah. girl, whose Russian girl has ties to Russian intelligence. Like, when when does that ever happen? Nice. It's KGB too. Yeah, I mean, that's like, yeah, that's, great. So that's on its face. That alone. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to go deep. No, I know it's important. I'm going to go deep on that in season two. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But just on the who who benefits. Okay, so, you know, conspirators, you've got uh, the Secret Service as a conspirator. And, you know, why? I, I don't really know. But they didn't have a ton of uh, uh, motive, actually, necessarily. But in terms of the big motives, F- FBI, uh, Hoover, you know, didn't like that uh, that RFK was kind of stepping on his toes, um, and uh, basically, you know, just he he always wanted to have control. I, I personally don't think that Hoover was was the motivating like like catalyst factor. No. Um, but but then but you've got I mean let's let's talk about the ones people, most people think it is okay. LBJ and Texas Oil people sort of combine those. Um, I used to think that LBJ was the man. I used to think that like. Well, hey, E. Howard Hunt told us he gave a deathbed confession and he put LBJ at the top and, you know, whatever. But that's once you learn more about that, you go, well, that's kind of self-serving because, you know, his dying breath, he was where to spill that bullshit, dude. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, what's interesting is it wasn't really a deathbed confession. He lived a few more years after that, but he <laughs> thought he was dying. So, so. But but anyway, um LBJ, there's a whole thing about in the men who killed Kennedy about this party the night before, and he yes. goes in. He's like, "I'm a, I'm gonna kill those Kennedy boys." Basically, he like says. And his reasons. mistress, who was on the Geraldo show, like Madeline he, Brown. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So that's kind of uh, at the JV conference they they entertain that, but at the varsity conference they don't. <laughs> no, because it's bullshit. So, yeah. So so anyway, um, but I haven't I haven't dug into the details just to do away with it. Did LBJ have foreknowledge? Possibly, although I don't know. Uh, but I really don't know. But I, I, I hope to learn. Yeah, no, you're, um, and it's it's one of those things you can never prove. But these powers just happen to coalesce on this day. Earl Cabell, the brother of Charles Cabell, um, Texas Senator Lyndon Johnson. I mean, yeah. it just there's there's a lot going on, man. It's just it's hard I, to put a finger on who. It, I don't know if you're, I asked you about Mac Wallace, supposedly Mac uh-huh. Wallace, Mac Wallace, who's Malcolm Wallace, supposedly one of Lyndon Johnson's kind of hitmen. His palm print was found not in the same mm-hmm. place where Oswald's supposed to have shot, but on the other side of the building. I mean, these are just all these different things, which makes you just like, what the right. fuck is going on? Well, there were two shooters cited by a lot of people, so that would make sense with the Mac Wallace thing. I mean, I'm, I'm going to withhold judgment on that until I go deep into it, which I will. Um, but I'll just tell for anybody who stuck around this long to the end, I can, I, I think it would be good to share like what the prevailing wisdom is. I'll, I'll give away the game real quick, but I just, <laughs> so, so, so here's the thing. 
Um, this is not a proof, so I'm not I'm not able to provide citations for this. I'm just telling you, like among people at the varsity conference, this is what everybody thinks. All right, and it's yeah. this, and it's not unanimous. People disagree about different things, but generally. The CIA was working with the mafia uh, already to try to kill Castro with the mafia folks who uh, lost their casinos when Castro took over. Which they had been um, working with, like fucking uh, like Luciano back in the day, day uh, controlling right. the New York harbors. Like this, this alliance has been inextricable for a very long time. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, well, there's a longer story about Nixon uh, bringing the mafia in and Watergate being related to. Howard Hughes and the JFK assassination and Howard Hughes is what the mafia. Howard Hughes is Howard... the aerospace industry <laughs> once again. There you go. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Bernard, this guy uh, Mayhew was like the main uh, liaison as, at first between the CIA and the mafia. But anyway, so you get the mafia, you got Cuban exiles, and you know, even Kennedy himself, uh, Operation Mongoose uh, was, you know, he was basically trying to fuck with Cuba as much as possible without triggering a nuclear war right he was like you know and he was probably more conservative on it than the generals where the generals didn't care they're like fuck it let's let's go the lemonets are um, fucked dude they're ready to scorch the earth dude right right exactly and that that led they butted heads on that later so yeah the military industrial complex and the the generals they all hated kennedy uh because basically he was was pursuing peace he had he came in as a hawk for sure and then he he turned to peace. There's always a debate like, was Kennedy like going to escalate Vietnam War and all these things? And there, it evidence goes both ways because he came in as a hawk and then he found out what was actually going on and then he became a dove. Like that's and not to get too deep into that aerospace thing. He was trying to create a a, a, a mutual alliance between the Russians and us to, to the space race right. together to go to the moon together. Which you're pissing right. off again a lot of people. And even the larger context of what he was inheriting with in the Middle East, Gabal Abdel Nasser. I mean that, that there was a lot of i mean the john foster dulleses and the alan dulles of the world uh -huh. cannot be underestimated as far as what kennedy was inheriting in 1960 when he got into office yeah you start talking about who he pissed off and who he who killed him and all i mean it's, you're talking about a lot of shit you're unpackaging a lot of 30 40 years like i said going back to lucky luciano and guarding yeah. the docks from world war ii and shit i mean it's it's deep it's deep let me let me just give you one little nugget i think you'll appreciate this um so just to tie a bow on on uh, who the varsity conference of, of JFK assassination folks think did it, they think it's Project ZR Rifle, which is the CIA working with the Cuban exiles and the mafia together to try to kill Castro. That was basically there was basically like a, a subgroup of that. Um, and it was all the people that that hated Kennedy that were all tight with Dulles and the three guys that just got fired. And they weren't really supervised because it was top secret. And they turned that operation on Kennedy. That's 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 the prevailing wisdom. It's it's uh, kind of one of your early instances of what we see now. These private security forces that are kind of off grid and offline. It's uh, that's essentially what it was, man. That's, I mean, when you look and at what's. Yeah, if you're ever if you're ever bored and you're like want to find some stuff to watch uh, after you've listened to every episode of both of our podcasts, of course. <laughs> um, uh, there's a guy named Daniel Sheehan, Daniel Sheehan, and he in like 2016 he taught a course on the JFK assassination at UC Santa Barbara, I believe, and all the whole course is online. The whole thing's online, but he he basically goes through kind of what he thinks happened, and okay, who cares, right? It's just some guy. Well, he's not just some guy. He's a lawyer who worked for F. Lee Bailey, 
And Effley, and so he worked for Bailey when his the famous lawyer, he was OJ Simpson lawyer, yes. did all kinds of things. He worked for Effley Bailey when they represented Santos Traficante and Bernard Barker, the uh, the Watergate burglar, CIA Watergate. Santos burglar. Traficante, former uh, Florida yes. head of the mafia. So he basically just tells his class, and it's on YouTube still, right now anyway, he tells his class what Santos Traficante told him. Which matches, which is the Project ZR Rifle story. Oh, what a tangled web we weave. Patrick J., <laughs> we've kept this young man long enough. Jump in here. Any questions, any comments, jump in there, man. I'm just learning and trying to keep up, to be honest with you. Isn't it crazy, though? Seriously. That our it's a tangled, it's such a tangled web, it's ridiculous. It's, I mean, I mean, and I mean, just for me, man, and it's not about me, but just my perception of this as a kid, like realizing, like, wait a minute, wait a minute. All this pledge of all these things that we of these organizing narratives of our country, who we are, but yet our president could be publicly fucking executed in broad daylight, sitting next to his wife when his son's birthday is that following Sunday, and they later kill him. Right, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is my belief, and I think it's, I think it's very clear to be honest with you that you know post World War Two. Uh, the fly swatter comes down on Germany. The Nazis spread out like cockroaches all over the planet, are uh, absorbed into governments in numerous places around the world. Start, start a lot of uh, you know the UN and other organizations. I mean, yeah, yeah, some shaky shit going on since then, right? <laughs> yeah, go bet, go bet. Definitely, definitely. Well, hey, um, I want to I, I want to tell you guys something on, on the other side. So stick around for a second if you can. Absolutely. No, Matthew Crumpton right here. Matt Crumpton, he is solving the JFK podcast. He's the host and he's killing it over there. Check it out, man. For whatever we scratch the surface on today, he's going so much deeper into it. And again, somebody who's been messing with this kind of this topic for a long time. I learned some stuff, you know, I learned some stuff, which is cool. Never stop learning. Matt, any um, social networking, where can we find what you are doing and what you're up to, brother? Yeah, man, it's uh, solvingjfkpodcast.com as a website. And I'm on I'm on uh, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just uh, search for Solving JFK Podcast. He's doing the Lord's work. Peace and so much <laughs> love, you guys. Champ, love you, brother. And uh, stick around. There will be more. Holla. <laughs>